Welcome back, everybody. I am Richard Roper. This is The Richard Roper Show. And thanks, as always, to everybody who's been downloading and sharing and listening and providing your feedback. We appreciate it. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. We're going to get into the wide world of sports and most specifically the Super Bowl and one other crazy uh, sports story I want to talk about. And then a little bit later in the podcast, yours truly, I find myself at the center of an Oscar controversy that is making worldwide headlines. And I'll explain my part in the controversy, what the controversy is all about, and where I think it should go. All of that. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Thanks, as always, to our friends at AmericanEagle.com. Okay, so we have our Super Bowl teams, the Eagles of Philadelphia, the Chiefs of Kansas City, probably the two best teams actually made it that far. Uh, history has been made and will be made. Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, the first time two black quarterbacks will be starting in the Super Bowl. Two great QBs who uh, have helped change the game with their style of play. And they, you know, they both know how to improvise. They both have you know, cannon arms when they need, great leaders. They can do it all. And in both cases, of course, some doubts about whether or not they would be great pro quarterbacks when they came out of their respective colleges. They're both great in college. But as we know, uh, I'm here in Chicago, folks. Uh, we still lament the moment the Bears traded up. That's right, traded up to get Mitch Trubisky and ignored Patrick Mahomes, who fell another eight or nine places in the draft. That was a good move. That worked out really well for the Bears, but that's a that's a story for another day. Uh, before we get into to the Super Bowl and a little bit of a recap of the uh, NFC and AFC championship games, I want to talk about one of my favorite technical fouls of all time. Uh, you guys could look this up uh, for the video on this uh, at your leisure, but this was last week. Uh, great game between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Boston Celtics. It was in Boston. A lot of people think Boston might be the best team in the NBA right now. You know, the Lakers are this kind of mixed bag because they have these, you know, they've got Hall of Famers, obviously. LeBron James, one of the top five players of all time. Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. Rarely are all three of them on the court at the same time because of injuries and other other factors. But there's clearly a lot of veteran talent there. And then a mix of youngsters. They're, they're kind of, a you know, on the bubble playoff team. But, you know, the Lakers and Celtics, one of the great rivalries in all of sports going all the way back to the 50s and 60s and, and 70s. That's always a, a fun game to watch. It was on national television. I was checking it out. I might have a I might have had a dollar or two on the game. I can't remember that, you know, wagering is legal now. On the, on the sporting events. Uh, so the end of the game, it's tied. LeBron James having an amazing game. This guy 20 years into his career is, is a first-team NBA All-Star, and it's not because of his name and legacy, because the way he's playing this year. So LeBron drives to the hoop, and he gets smacked on the arm. It's a clear foul with, I think, less than a second to play. So, you know, it's going to be a it's gonna be game set match, basically. Uh, LeBron's going to go to the free throw line. He's going to sink at least one free throw, and the Celtics aren't even going to have a chance to throw up a prayer. But they don't make the call. A no call of all players to not get a call LeBron. So they don't call the foul. The game's going to go into overtime. LeBron falls to the floor. He can't believe it. He's he's acting better than he has in any of the movies he's appeared in. And then his teammate, Patrick Beverly, comes out 
and I've never seen this before. He brings a camera out. I don't know if he got it from a, a staff photographer or a media person, probably a staffer, brings a camera out to show the ref they missed the call, literally showing them the image on the viewfinder. Uh, he got hit with a technical foul for that. Uh, so the so the overtime started with uh, the Celtics having a free throw, which is, uh, listen, I'm sure Patrick's probably going to get a fine as well, but that's a pretty funny technical. Celtics lead it here in overtime, 113-107. Here's the play. At the end of regulation, LeBron James drives. They thought he was fouled. Lakers very upset. And as the teams went to the benches and before overtime started, Patrick Beverly comes out on the floor to Eric Lewis with a camera. I mean, just ridiculous. And Eric Lewis rightfully tees him up. I've never seen a guy bring a camera out onto the field. Uh, another strange interaction. This was before the Eagles 49ers game. And this is another thing. I don't want to play the audio from this because it's a little, I think, problematic and because there's a homophobic slur in it. Uh, but Joey Bosa. Okay, so Joey Bosa is with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And his brother, Nick Bosa, is on the 49ers. So Joey going to show some love for his brother, heads to Philadelphia, gets a beautiful 49ers jacket to support his brother. And he's heading into into the stadium when some Philadelphia fans start giving him a hard time. One guy says, "Hey, when do the Chargers play this week?" Which is kind of funny because obviously they're they're eliminated now. Bosa, who of course got two big penalties uh, in the game, the Chargers were eliminated. Uh, you know, for losing his temper, does it again? Now, here's the thing. I mean, it's easy for me to say I've only had a few uncomfortable interactions with people in public who, for whatever reason, want to give me a hard time. I'm not an NFL star, I never was so. Uh, but I'm still going to offer this unsolicited advice. If you're in a situation like that, first of all, those Eagles fans are kind of nuts because Joey Bosa <laughs> will crush you like a beer can, you know, uh, and they're giving him a hard time. They're walking right up to him. And I think it was his girlfriend, and a couple other people. But here, here's what you do there, Joey. Joey, Joey, Joey. Here's what you do. When they start giving you shit. You go, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, you know, uh, man, sucks we're out of it. But, you know, going to be a good game today. Just give him a little fist bump. You know what happens almost... 99% of the time with heckling fans. Uh, if you're nice to him, if you interact with him, like, oh, he's a pretty cool guy after all. That's all you got to do. Now, if you did that and they continue to give him shit, then you just turn away and enter the stadium and leave him behind. But instead, he fed the trolls. He made this remark about the one guy, are you a Snapchatting blah, 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 homophobic slur? And then he goes into the, uh, you know, the, the classic thing that you never want to do. When someone says, "How is it, you know, what's it like getting fined? And he's like, they're good because I can afford them because I'm bleeping rich, you bleaking broke bitch. He's yelling at the fan. It's like, it's exactly what they want. So come on, Joey, do better next time. And if I, I don't get fans heckling people. I never did. I don't, I, I believe if you go to a sporting event, yeah, you want to boo, that's fine. I never understood the heckling thing, whether you're in a comedy club or at a sporting event. To me, it's always just kind of pathetic cry for attention. And I know it's hard sometimes to ignore the hecklers, but when you engage with them, you're giving these losers exactly what they want. Okay, let's talk about a, a couple other things uh, related uh, to the uh, championship games and the upcoming Super Bowl. There was this, now this to me is more amusing. Let's take a listen to Travis Kelsey. This is the post game interview with Travis Kelsey after the Chiefs had defeated the Cincinnati Bengals to go on to the Super Bowl. And here's what Travis Kelsey had to say. <laughs> I appreciate that. How about this beautiful trophy? Huh? Hey, I got 
got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party. So a couple of things there, uh, responding to the fact that you know uh, some some of the Bengals were calling Kansas City's home field Burrowhead Stadium because Joe Burrow and the Bengals had won the last few meetings between the two teams and then the mayor of Cincinnati which you know he, I know he's trying to be hip and cool and with it you know had posted a video last week in which he called for a DNA test to confirm whether or not Joe Burrow is Patrick Mahomes's father first of all that who's your daddy thing was always kind of stupid and lame and offensive and now it's just old and tired uh, but also you're the mayor of Cincinnati you got other problems and things to deal with you know do the stupid do the typical mayoral bet where you bet your foods and and homegrown products against the other mayor's homegrown products and then you switch you know you get the beer and you get the cheesesteaks and all that shit they've been doing that forever the bulls used to do that chicago mayor would you know make a bet against the mayor of phoenix or whatever those are fun you know all in good fun but um to his credit uh the mayor then said you know what you got me uh basically i i should have kept my mouth shut congratulations on a good wind and i'm gonna always be a, a, a Bengals fan uh and the jabroni thing by the way a lot of people are saying oh that's because the rock says jabroni or did say it i guess in the wrestling world but it actually goes all the way back to the iron sheik wrestling fans will know this he was the one that popularized that term jabroni uh which just makes you know which which basically is the kind of term you use to describe uh, uh, i guess either uh, joey bosa or the fans who heckled him or both a uh, couple of things I wanted to get through because you're going to hear this in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, for those of you who follow me and thank you for that, uh, you know, for a long time, you might recall I've written a couple of books on conspiracy theories and urban legends and, you know, tall tales. And uh, one such tall tale uh, has it that the Super Bowl was named the Super Bowl by Lamar Hunt. The Hunt family, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, Lamar Hunt, the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs. This was this would have been back in the mid 60s, guys. He noticed that his uh, kids were playing with a toy called the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, which, by the way, you can still get if you look it up like on Amazon, the whammo, the Super Bowl. If you're of a certain age, you might remember this Super Bowl was this really tightly compressed thing. It, it was incredible, actually. It was really cool because it would it was first of all, you I'm surprised we didn't kill each other with it. But if you bounced it, it would bounce like 10 times higher than a regular ball. And if you you know wanted to play baseball with it, you'd play for exactly one pitch because someone would hit it. And then it would end up, you know, in somebody's backyard. You'd never find it. They had, I remember they had a commercial years ago. They, they literally dropped a Super Bowl out of a helicopter to see how high it would bounce. So, the, you know, the urban legend is that's how the Super Bowl got its name because he saw uh, Lamar Hunt, saw his daughter Sharon and his son Lamar Jr. playing with the Super Bowl, and he somehow thought of Super Bowl. Uh, but the timeline doesn't really work for that. Uh, they have been calling it the Super Bowl in the press. The first couple of years, they just called it the championship game, the AFL-NFL championship game. But the press had been calling it the Super Duper Bowl or the Super Game uh, for years before this is supposed uh, anecdote uh, of Lamar Hunt's actually transpired. But I kind of like the idea. It's harmless, you know, named after the Super Bowl. Uh, and if you get a chance, uh, I, I think you can get a Super Bowl for less than 10 bucks. They're pretty amazing. But all I remember is I had two or three Super Bowls at different times when I was a kid. And as I mentioned, you, you just never hung on to them for very long because they would bounce so far, you just lose it. That's the deal with the Super Bowl. I want to talk to, I'm going to look this up as we speak, guys. I want to talk a little bit about uh, what transpired in that uh, that championship game between the Niners and the Chiefs because 
it was really unfortunate uh, that the 49ers essentially were left without a quarterback. You know, we know that Grappolo's out, that they, they were down to their third string quarterback. It was kind of a great Cinderella story with Brock Purdy. Uh, Mr. Irrelevant. It's always that also cracks me up when they talk about the last pick in the NFL draft being Mr. Irrelevant because there are tons of free agents who don't get drafted at all, uh, who aren't even considered relevant enough to be drafted, and they still end up playing in the NFL. You know, it, just because you're not drafted doesn't mean you're not going to play. The, the NFL draft now, I think, is seven rounds. It used to be like twice as much as that. So now there's a lot of opportunities for free agents. But in any case, the last guy drafted, it makes for a great story, and he comes out and leads the Niners on this fantastic win streak and all the way to the NFC championship game. But then he gets hurt and they had to bring in Joshua Johnson, Joshua Javon Johnson. If you tell me that you knew Joshua Johnson was the backup, 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 backup quarterback for the 49ers, then you must be a member of the 49ers staff. Cause I don't think even the announcers knew who was there. Joshua Johnson knew cause he was there in uniform, but he probably was as surprised as anybody that he'd go in and play. Now, the, the, the resume is actually, it's kind of an amazing story. He's actually played for more uh, teams than any player in the history of the NFL. He's been a member of 14 different teams. He's 36 years old. He's out of uh, San Diego, where he went to college, and he has played for everyone. Uh, he also played in the United Football League, the Alliance of American Football, and the XFL. He probably had a fantasy football team in there uh, at some point as well. So this guy who came into the game, uh, he was with the Buccaneers, then the 49ers, then the Sacramento Mountain Lions of the UFL. We all remember that year, 2012. They played in two games and then the league folded. Then he was signed with the Browns after they had injuries. Then he was signed with the Bengals, then the 49ers again, then the Bengals again, the Jets, the Colts, the Bills, the Ravens, the Giants. Almost every time he got signed, it was because of injuries and they would activate him and he'd be the third or second string quarterback. He, uh, he was on the Texans for a while after Taylor Heineke was hurt, signed with the Raiders in 2018. Then he played for the San Diego fleet, ladies and gentlemen, the fleet probably so named because of course, San Diego uh, has the base there, you know, the military base. And the so that's a kind of a cool recognition of that. The San Diego fleet of the Alliance of American football, who knew uh, then with the Redskins, the lions, then went to the Los Angeles Wildcats of the XF XFL as part of the 2020 XFL supplemental draft. I think we all remember where we were when that took place. Then to the 49ers practice squad, then to the Jets, back to the Ravens, the Broncos. And this was his fourth time with the San Francisco 49ers. He goes out there, lots of delay game penalties. He had a couple of nice plays. He's a veteran. He's played a lot. I mean, he's played for a lot of teams, not in a ton of games, but he definitely has experience. Uh, and then the poor guy gets injured. So he's out. He, you know, he can't return. The 49ers brought back Brock Purdy, but it was immediately obvious he literally could not throw the ball because of his injury to his to his wrist or arm, forearm, whatever it was. He couldn't throw the ball. They a couple of little dump off passes, but he just was handing the ball off and they're down by two or three touchdowns. The game was over for sure. And they tried to put Christian McCaffrey in kind of a shotgun and do some trick plays, but it was a nightmare. And I I I just I mentioned all this because I wonder if the NFL should have an emergency quarterback rule. Now you're asking me, what is an emergency quarterback rule? I'm glad you asked. Uh, I got this idea because the NHL, I'm sure hardcore hockey fans know this, they have what they call the emergency goalie rule. And here's how it works. 
Uh, an emergency backup goaltender steps in when a team does not have two healthy goaltenders by way of injury, illness, or suspension, and a replacement for the minors cannot reasonably report to the team in time for a game. In other words, if it happens in-game or right before the game, they can't bring somebody up from the minors. You can literally pull somebody. It's not actually from the stands. They usually have somebody. It's a local high school coach or it's a guy on the team's uh in the team's executive office who used to play, but you can actually have an emergency goaltender. They had this happen a couple of years ago in the NHL where you, you just take a guy and you're going, Hey, you're going to be the goaltender for the day. And it doesn't count against the roster limit. It's there just in case there's just nobody to 10 goal. And the game is about to start. I, I just wonder if the NA, at the NFL, there's so many injuries, unfortunately, not only, uh, you know, the injuries to the quarterbacks, but receivers, a lot of skilled position players, key defenders. I mean, that's just the, the nature of the game. It's not going to change. We know that. Uh, but I wonder if there should be some sort of emergency quarterback rule that the 49ers could have had somebody uh, ready to be suited up literally in the stadium so that when we got to the second half, they had no quarterbacks, folks. They really didn't have a quarterback. They had two guys who were injured and probably shouldn't have been out there. And then if after that, they were going to start just doing shotgun snaps to a running back that's all they had left i guarantee you there was some talk in the locker room hey has anybody ever played quarterback because they do that sometimes when a kicker gets hurt you'll see somebody who kicked in high school and college who's now a fullback or a defensive lineman and they're pressed into emergency duty but it, it was a shame for a lot of reasons first and foremost because of the health of the, the guys who were injured but also the game was done it took away any competitiveness and i just i don't know i think the emergency quarterback they could have had colin kaepernick come on man that would have been amazing Anybody who has played before, who was not a member of the roster, but would have been available for duty. Let's not forget Patrick Mahomes was also, you know, playing injured, although they have a, a capable backup who was ready to go. But I just think for the integrity of the game, the think about it, the emergency backup quarterback. All right. Tell you what, let's hear from Rokan about Portello's. Uh, when we come back, an Oscar controversy that I launched without even knowing it. Portillo's are known for their famous Chicago hot dogs with all the freshest and tastiest ingredients right down to the poppy seed bun and, of course, their legendary chocolate cake. But that's just the beginning, my friends. The menu has mouth-watering varieties of favorites from a charbroiled burger to an Italian beef to a mm -hmm. cheese fry to a chopped salad and the chocolate cake. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. If you are a fan of this podcast or heard any other episode of this, you know how I feel about the chocolate cake. It's the greatest chocolate cake in the history of chocolate or cake. Portillo's also has locations throughout the Midwest and in Florida, California, and Arizona. Order curbside pickup or delivery today. Ship Portillo's anywhere in the United States of America by ordering at portillos.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Okay, so uh, as you recall, last week's podcast, we talked about the Academy Award nominations, and I mentioned how it was such a pleasant but huge surprise that Andrea Riseborough was nominated for Best Actress for the independent drama To Leslie, which I had in my top 10 movies of the year, and considered uh, Andrea Riseborough's performance as a woman who wins the lottery, blows the winnings, uh, is dealing with hardcore addictions, estranged from her son. It was one of the best portrayals of alcoholism I've seen ever in a movie, going all the way back to Days of Wine and Roses. 
and leaving Las Vegas and you know, great portrayals by the likes of Nicolas Cage. Just just an authentic, searing, incredible performance. Andrea Riseborough has been around for a while. She's an amazing chameleon of an actress. So you might not even recognize her sometimes, but she was amazing in this role. But I mean, this movie literally made like $28,000. And of course, the good thing is we mentioned last week about the nominations. When something like this gets recognized by the Academy, I guarantee you it will be seen by 20 times as many people by the time the Oscars roll around. Uh, but the nomination was such a surprise to people who expected either Viola Davis or Daniel Deadweiler, or a number of other candidates. It's interesting that everybody's decided that, that Andrea Riseborough has taken the fifth slot. They don't, we don't know that. Michelle Williams for the Fablemans, who a lot of people thought was a supporting actress, maybe that was the fifth, uh, you know, contender in the list. But for whatever the case may be, a lot of people were upset about this, in part because there had been this grassroots campaign, and maybe it wasn't so, so grassroots, so much grassroots, uh, where a lot of famous actors, great actors, were holding screenings of to Leslie for Academy members, private screenings, and telling people how great it is. And, and then they need to see this is an incredible performance. Uh, Kate Blanchett, actually, who's probably going to win after all and send and done uh, for Tar, talked about what a great performance it was. And uh, the Academy was flooded with calls from people who I guarantee had agendas of their own saying, there's something not right about this nomination. We think that this campaign went over the line. There's been a long history of dubious Oscar campaigning. You know, the, the monstrous Harvey Weinstein became famous for that with, with Miramax uh, back in the 90s and 2000s. And, and if you go way, way back, uh, the studios used to basically uh, vote with block voting, you know, MGM, Warner Brothers, whatever the case may be. If you were under contract to those studios, it was pretty much determined you were going to vote for pictures and performances from your studio. This is back in the contract days when when actors and actresses were under and directors were under contract to one studio. It's not necessarily that's almost never the case now. You do different projects, people have relationships with studios, but it's not the same sort of thing. But in any case, there was such a, a hue and cry about this that the Academy, as I'm recording this podcast, there will probably be more developments as the week goes on. But they're actually meeting, the board is meeting to see if some sort of rules were broken. Now this is where I come in. And I'll be honest with you, I had heard about this story that there had been some uh, controversy about the nomination without realizing that it all came from uh, a quote from me. And Variety was the uh, public, you know, the great folks at Variety uh, broke this story and explained this. So we're going to go deep into the weeds here, folks. In a post for the on the official Instagram account for the movie to Leslie, they quoted Richard Rover's blurb from his top 10 films of 2022, where he listed I'm talking about myself in the third person because I'm quoting the article. He listed the movie at number five. The quote reads, as much as I admired Blanchett's work in Tar, my favorite performance by an actress this year was delivered by the chameleon like Andrea Riseborough and director Michael Morris's searing drama about a mom at the final crossroads in her life after she's lost everything due to her drinking to Leslie ranks with leaving Las Vegas and crazy hard as modern day classics about the ravages of alcoholism. Now, according to variety, and I guess the uh, subsequent news stories, this could be seen as a direct violation of the Academy's campaign rules, specifically number 11 references to other nominees. Part B reads any tactic that singles out the competition by name or titles is expressly forbidden, though it quotes a critic rather than directly invoking the name of a competing hopeful. The fact that it comes from the official Instagram for the film is an issue. So the problem, I guess, is because, the you know, listen, 
I didn't even realize they're quoting me. They have every right to quote me. I don't care. Um, but because my original piece compared in a way, or at least said that as much as I like Kate Blanchett's performance, that's considered a violation. That's the whole controversy, people. It's first of all, it's fucking ridiculous. Okay. Andrea Riseborough didn't do anything wrong, even if she was involved in some of the campaigning for herself. Actors and actresses should and can campaign for themselves. They got the grassroots campaigning going. The idea that by me mentioning Kate Blanchett, it's somehow denigrating her performance. First of all, I'm not because I think she's great in that. But the idea that that by the official Instagram account for to Leslie quoting me is somehow uh, violating that rule seems incredibly petty to me. And might I just point out, ladies and gentlemen, that the Oscars themselves pit the actors against each other. That's the whole point of the Academy Awards. They're saying here are the five best performances, and now this one's better than the others. And a lot of the times the winners go up there and say it's insane to compare different performances in this you know, period piece against this Shakespearean type of a drama or, you know, this musical. And I, I remember reading years ago, someone said the only way you could have a true Oscars would be to have all five actors perform the same role in the same movie and then see who did the best job. But even that, it's completely subjective. So to me, it's kind of crazy that the Academy is so up in arms about you can't say anything about the competition. But by the way, this is a competition. And I do get it. You don't want to be ripping other actors. There have been some campaigns in the past where, other performances were singled out in ads as not being as good, and you don't want to do that. But they're just quoting me. That's where this all comes from. <laughs> this is this is kind of a great article. Uh, this is from the BBC, the the legendary BBC, where they talked about how A-listers, including Gwyneth Paltrow, Edward Norton, Courtney Cox, were among those who tried to drum up support for Andrea Riseborough in the last days of Oscar voting. The Academy's official rules, they again go into the, the, the idea that you can't single out the competition by name or title. And then they say, uh, once since deleted Instagram post, uh, which was particularly put on this, the spotlight, quoted Richard Roper, the Chicago Sun-Times, who wrote, and then they go through the whole thing. That's where I talk about Kate Blanchett and then get into the praise of Riseborough. So <laughs> I love this, this one segment from the BBC uh, article. While there was no wrongdoing on the critic's part for expressing his opinion, it's possible there was wrongdoing on the two Leslie campaigns part for choosing a quote which contrasted Riseborough with Blanchett. I'm glad to know, ladies and gentlemen, that even in 2023, there's no wrongdoing on a critic's part for expressing his opinion, which is the job. So thank you, BBC, for pointing that out. Uh, listen, they're not going to rescind the nomination for Andrea Riseborough. And by the way, if they did, and there have been a couple of cases in the past where nominations were rescinded for various reasons, they don't move somebody up to the fifth slot. They just have four nominees. So whoever was you know, making all these phone calls to the Academy, uh, sour graping the nomination for Andrea Riseborough, I, I don't know what you're hoping to accomplish other than, I guess, get this big churn of publicity. I feel bad uh, for Andrea Riseborough because she didn't do anything wrong, and now... If she goes to the Oscars, she is a nominee. How is she going to be able to avoid talking about this? Because some people on the red carpet are going to want to talk to her about this. And, it, and really, the important thing here is that people appreciate the performance and the film, which really deserve the spotlight. And that's the good thing about this. So I'm no Joey Boza or Patrick Beverly, but I found myself in the middle of a dust-up this week, folks. All right, that'll do it for this edition of The Richard Roper Show. Thanks 
to everyone who's been listening and to the fine team at AmericanEagle.com. Tim Melanius, Renee Nelson, Brian Winger, all of you do such a great job, Brian, in particular, my editor, my producer, the guy who makes all this happen. We'll be back uh, talking to you again sometime soon. I'll try to stay out of trouble until then. <laughs>